Barbosa. Uh, no. More about gel coat. When the force. Don't you call in the. More importantly. June is a busting out all over, all over the meadow and the hill. With the bejesus and the something and the eagles and the waters and the bills who are busy on the bills. Oh, yes, it's June, 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 Joan, ladies and gentlemen, in the words of the immortal Leslie Uggams. And with that, here in the year of our Lord, 2022, we bring you another TV Talkaholics. Hi. Hey, Matthew. Oh, David, you want to go to the circus? I did not realize how much I love the circus until I watched this special. I had forgotten. Oh, God, I'm glad you went that direction. <laughs> oh, well, here's the deal. I didn't go to the circus per se very often as a child. We only went a couple of times. And uh, so it wasn't a big part of my life. Naturally, you know, we're, we're the kids, the television generation where our parents didn't have to take us anywhere because we would just plop our asses in front of the TV. Uh, the circus was a much bigger deal to those uh, generations before us. But I've got to say, I did not expect to enjoy this as much as I did. What were your initial thoughts about Walt Disney World Celebrity Circus from November 27th of 1987? It, it, was, ex it was exactly what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> A one-hour Disney special with circus acts. Okay. And, and, and pointless little skits in between. Um, awkward celebrity interaction with circus acts yeah. okay and i'm not saying we did not experience that this weird mishmash of of c-list celebrities and and hokey jokes and uh, all that stuff absolutely that was there uh, so my sort of takeaway from it was i was like you know the acts themselves were thrilling enough for me like when it all when the when the dust settled and the chips were down, I thought, in spite of all the hmm, stuff that was going on in between, the acts themselves, watching the actual circus stuff was really thrilling. And at times, like I was I'm like, I know this is a TV show. I know if they fall and die, they will edit this out. But there were still points I realized I was like biting my nails. I was like, oh, fuck, that's high. Holy shit. How does he do that? And, and we know they ain't no TV magic, ain't no special effects. This was the real thing for 87. Wow. I, I don't want to be this person, David, but all I could think was how very problematic the circus is. Oh, we, that is in my list of notes, and we do need to discuss <laughs> that if we're going to uh, maintain our uh, self-expressed woke status that we like to uh, <sighs> fool ourselves we we fall into um well yeah let's talk about the circus i do have nuts and bolts and stuff but you've you've already uh opened this wound as it were uh, um this is weird the special and the existence of the special is weird and uh with your experience with the park i'm aware you're far too young to have been employed in the park in 1987 yeah but 
do you know anything or had you heard anything? Did they just set this up for this TV special or was there a time they were running a circus thing at Epcot for the the day-to-day park operations? The only thing I can think of is Epcot's fifth birthday Mm -hmm. because it was 87. It it would have been the five-year anniversary of Epcot. But again, it, it just shows a difference in what they do now in how they film things and why they film things and Mm -hmm. where like this was before synergy so they don't promote anything i know i i was noticing that zero promotion it's not even like here we are at the wonderful german pavilion they don't even say that (laughs) like they don't even it, it could have been done at a baseball field it didn't matter that it was at epcot yeah, they, they never say Epcot. They, they call it Walt Disney World. And it does take place on the backside of the big the big ball ride, the Spaceship Earth ride. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Uh, part of me questioning the existence of this and how and why it even exists. <laughs> my thought was, well, maybe this was because Epcot, f- for, you know, by all accounts, Epcot opened to lackluster reviews and tepid audience a guest response because it was so different from all of the other park experiences. Part of me was like, well, maybe five years in, they were thinking, let's promote Epcot. Let's kind of get that word out there. Remember, we promoted the Mouseketeers back in 77, and that inspired families like the Almeida family in Brockton, Massachusetts, to come down here to see the Magic Kingdom in 1978. Maybe this could inspire families to want to come down and see Epcot. But and also that 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 Mouseketeer thing was not promoting anything. Correct. They, correct. Exactly. Not even in a lot, not even like, and, and it's just little things that you notice, like, like now they would have mentioned at least 87 times. And now back to the stage in front of Epcot, Spaceship Earth, yeah. they would have named the thing. There would have been. Yeah. Names dropped like at Epcot Center. Do not forget it would have been yeah. live from Epcot Center. Yeah. But not even a mention of that. There were so many opportunities to do that that it it is so funny that they didn't catch on and become hip to that till so much later. So you loved the circus growing up. I I didn't, I guess. But I mean, you love this, like, because I saw this and we had in Fort Wayne, Indiana, every year, the Shrine Circus would come. Not the Barnum and Bailey Circus. No, no, not that high class shit. No. (laughs) The (laughs) The Shrine Circus would come. And yes, it was involved with the Shriners. And but I we would go to that like they would do us they would do like a friday afternoon performance for the schools and it was a huge field trip and we would go and as a child i remember just love because these were show people these Mm -hmm. were people that were doing this in the afternoon like it was their job and but i also would like to say that the circus i think began my anxiety (laughs) i because what uh, not that you're hoping for it but i feel like people who enjoy that are hoping 
that I don't want to witness a death. No, I don't want to witness a mangling of a human. So this whole like done without a net. I'm like, no, you don't have to do that. I don't. Yeah, I'm you can have a net. That, I will not fault you at all. Have the fucking yeah. net. <laughs> I don't want to watch a person get mangled. Oh. So just as a child, I remember being like, no, don't do that. Why are you doing that? Never mind how you even figure out that you can do that. Wait, wh- I've always wondered how these people like discovered that they could hang from from de- floss through their teeth off of a trapeze how did you find that out yeah I, I agree the dude on the hamster wheel that's rotating around and I mean and that was like you know he's inside the wheel and then he climbs outside the wheel and is walking around the and I'm I was thinking the same thing I'm like how do you even train for this how do you what what in the, you know and then so many of these are kids it's like well here's nine-year-old circus performer it's like who puts their nine-year-old on a fucking trapeze? I guess it's a, it's a family thing, usually. I, like, I guess it's, but still, it's like, you know, every family, you know, my dad was the office supply king of Brockton, Massachusetts. Yeah. I did not pick up that torch and carry it after my dad decided he wanted to retire and sell his business. I had the opportunity and I said, thank you, but no, thank you. I mean, it's almost like the, it's not like the kid was given a choice. You know what I mean? It's like, you, this is what the family does, dude. You hop, on, hop on board. Hmm. But uh, back to our discussion about the circus in general. One of my questions was, where did these people come from? Where did these? It's it's not like Disney put out an audition notice. Hey, we're putting together a circus special. We're putting together a TV special. Clearly, there's a network of circus people. But it wasn't a synergy, you know, the Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey Circus at Walt Disney World. No. Or something like that. It it was just, it was just, hey, we got this performer here. We've got some bears from Bavaria. We got a bitch from Czechoslovakia. We got got the flying (laughs) Filippellis. Exactly. (laughs) And so it's just this put together. I, I did look up the history, Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey. Uh, its earliest incarnations before the merger. It goes as far back as 1871. Yeah. To 2017 is when the circus shut down. And uh, now early this year, uh, the people who have managed it for a while, which is, uh, I believe the, is it not the Feld? Feld, yeah. I was going to say wind. I'm like, no, it's another four letter name. Um, but they're auditioning and re-engineering the circus and they've been auditioning and uh, in May of this year. So that's literally just a couple of weeks ago. They announced that the circus was going to resume operation in the fall of 2023 with a tour of 50 cities. And it would debut as a multi-platform entertainment franchise. Likely it's not going to have the animal acts because that was what started to hurt it in the late 2010s was a lot of animal activist animal rights groups were looking at this and uh, saying, uh, how well treated are these animals? How are they yeah. being maintained? What are they being, what, what paces are they being put through for the sake of performing to, to fund humans' uh, profit pockets? And uh, that's a lot of peas, wow. Um, so that was part of what made the circus start getting a little 
uh, falling out of favor of the general public. And, you know, and then that segues into our, our woke culture and all that where. Um, I couldn't watch the animal acts. I had to fast forward to them. I watched them, but the whole time I was uh, like, Ooh, Ooh, I hope I don't know if this is okay. It's like, is watching this now the equivalent of watching Mickey Rooney and breakfast at Tiffany's? Is it like, is yes. this a, is this what? a, is there going to be a, a, um, you know, if they, here's a dumb question. This isn't on Disney plus, is it? We, we, I just pulled it up on YouTube. Does this special yeah. exist on Disney plus? I don't think so. I don't think it does either. And I feel like it, it would have a disclaimer card at the beginning saying, yeah, it, it just may contain some outdated stuff including animal acts, elephants, bears, uh, seals, and uh, horses. I started crying when the elephants were doing it. It just, it, it's just so wildly inappropriate. <laughs> mm. To me, the bears, I feel like elephants, you know, elephants are social animals. Elephants, they can kind of walk around and put their legs up. I feel like they're not they're not making the elephants do too much that's too crazy but things like what the bears are doing the the bears was the moment i was really like oh this is getting a little tiny bit cringy and and who would have ever imagined who would have thought in 1987 that there would be a time what 40 years down the road or 35 years down the road that we would be looking at this in cringing out of mm. concern for the animals. <laughs> well, uh, the animals don't have a choice. The flying Filipellis, it's their choice to get up on that, on yeah. that trapeze. If he falls without his net. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, grandpa. Yep. Nope, I'm, out of, I'm out of the act. Yeah. But yeah, I couldn't so, watch the animal acts. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Not, don't apologize. That's completely valid uh, with the lens of today's world in which we live and so yeah so this is a, a very very long prelude saying that we do understand that what we have watched is problematic and may be uh, upsetting to some people and uh but there are others who uh case in point when the movie blackfish came out which was a big ding at SeaWorld, saying that yeah. SeaWorld did not treat its animals well there were people behind the scenes at SeaWorld who were like what in the actual fuck yeah sea world is a conservation they sea world is the company that cares about the animals and is trying to preserve them and you know they have a they have a record that contradicts these you know and i've never seen blackfish i'm, I'm i do not even know of which i speak but uh i'm sure there are people who have actually been in the circus, who would probably sit here and say to us, they treated those animals so well, they took right. such good care of them. Uh, so let's, let's keep that in mind, shall we? <sighs> so you want some nuts and bolts, Matthew? Oh my God. We jokingly uh, talked about what was the deal with Tootie's early departure at the end of season eight in the final episode of season eight of The Facts of Life which uh, has not dropped yet. We've already recorded it, but it will, it will be dropping after this show drops. Uh, how Tootie, at what seems and feels to be a possible end for the entire series, 
Tootie's gone three and a half minutes in. They're like, peace out, bitch. Bye-bye. And you started looking up her IMDb saying, did she have to go somewhere? Was she working on another project or doing a movie? Uh, bitch was flying here to Orlando to try and uh, get some, <laughs> to get a little extra paycheck for her, her summer spending money uh, to be here for this, because this had to have been filmed in the summer of 87, because it uh, broadcast in the fall of 87, right? I think it was the day after Thanksgiving, in fact. So Kim Fields is, of course, the reason why we are doing this as a Facts of Life adjacent special. Um, I thought it was going to be celebrities doing um, circus acts. Oh, like Circus of the Stars. Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought Kim Field, we were going to see Kim Fields on a high wire. Yeah. I, I, I <laughs> Instead, you get was... Goofy on a high wire. You get Ugh, fucking don't... Mickey Mouse as the ringmaster. You get... <laughs> <laughs> don't even get me so we can't even go there Just keep talking about the nuts and bolts okay <laughs> don't get me sidetracked on fucking dumbo in a character costume oh we we have so much to talk helicopter. about helicopter anyway 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 yep. well this was broadcast on friday night which i like i said i believe it was the day after thanksgiving it ran from 8 to 9 p.m on nbc every minute of it <laughs> Uh, followed by a repeat of the wonderful Police Academy. The movie Police Academy. It's like, wow. I I never watched that edited for network television. What was that? Was it 10 minutes long? Did did they do the the friggin' George Gaines blowjob from under the podium scene? Did that even happen? There are movies where it's like, why would you even try to show this? On network television when it's By, well especially with your lead in with disney world circus of the stars <laughs> thank you thank you the family hour the standard lineup uh, on the rival networks there was nothing unusual to uh try to counter program against this abc had its regular roster of full house i married dora mr belvedere and pursuit of happiness followed by 2020 mm. I have no idea what the fuck I Married Dora or Pursuit of Happiness are as series. I looked them up. I looked at photographs. I have no damn clue. These are clearly the fringe series that they tried to stick into that Friday lineup, figuring Full House and Mr. Belvedere will carry it. Maybe we'll get some new shows. It's like it's like all the shows on must-see TV where you get the single guy and Caroline in the City and you know, the, the naked truth, all those shows that were like, oh, they're only being watched because of their time slot. Yeah. On CBS, we had Beauty and the Beast, followed by Dallas and Falcon Crest. Did you ever watch the TV series Beauty and the Beast? No. <laughs> Do you have any idea what that series was about? I have no clue how in the fuck there was a series. I know that Ron, I want to say Ron Livingston, and that's the wrong actor. Um, Ron Perlman. Ron Perlman is in makeup. He's playing like a like a cat dude looking face. And Linda Hamilton was the, the girl in that. But what was the premise of that? How did that run for, what the fuck? Okay, listeners, Tutti Fruities, any of you, were you Beauty and the Beast fans? 
I, I just have one question. What in the actual fuck was that show? Never seen it, never had any desire to. And in hindsight, I, I can't even imagine. Anyway. And um, it's the adventures and romance of a sensitive and cultured lion man and a crusading assistant district attorney in Manhattan, New York City. So I guess you just accept that in this world, he's he's a lion man. Because uh, he's a mean old lion. Um, I don't. Okay, it sounds like a it sounds like a three camera sitcom sketch on SNL. It it, it just it's like wow. Anyway. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? It's like, you know, who would have thought a damn show about four old ladies living in Miami would be the, you know, legendary show that it was. Um, anyway, normally on NBC, it would have been a show called Rags to Riches. I'm not that familiar with it. Followed by Miami Vice and another series called Private Eye. And you know what? If y'all are interested in finding out more about those shows, Google them yourself. What am I, your mother? Geez, we're going to be here for three hours. This was written, Matthew, by Tom Peru, P-E-R-E-W, and Bruce Villanche. Were you surprised to see his name? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> now, Tom Peru has written for Joan Rivers, The New Laugh-In. He wrote for Mama's Family, The Late Show, Dolly, and a few award shows. But Bruce Villanche is kind of a titan of television writers. He had written for Bette Midler, Lily Tomlin. Uh, he wrote for Brady Bunch, Variety Hour, Donnie and Marie, Dolly, and a crap ton of awards shows. He's kind of the go-to to be the guys who write the jokes for the award shows, like all the Billy Crystal stuff um, and, and beyond. I mean, and, and very recently as well, but... Uh, there's a movie from 1999 called Get Bruce, and it's just talking about him and his writing career. There's a really interesting section. Have you seen that movie, Matthew? No, because I just don't understand. When we, when we talk about how, how did he keep getting writing gigs? Because we talk about things that are universally known as being just dreadful. May I name two of them of which yes, you speak? Yes. He is one of the co-authors of both the Star Wars Holiday Special right. and the Paul Lind Halloween Special. So how did he keep getting writing gigs? Because it seems like, oh, was this terrible? Yeah, who wrote it? Bruce Valanche. Like, and, and, and since he became known for writing for like the Academy Awards, then you realize, oh, my God, these are all bits that didn't work, <laughs> that, ma that made Elizabeth Taylor look like a batshit crazy old bitch, <laughs> that, that, made, that made Mary Lou Henner look like she had never seen a script before. Like, all these bits that they would try to do with the presenter. Anyway, I, I just, why? And I've <laughs> met Bruce. I, he is wonderfully witty and funny so it just but it just makes me wonder like how did he get like uh, oh, okay. 
it is a weird career, a very weird career. I've met him too. I have, I have a photo. Like nobody somewhere. ever says, you know what was brilliant writing? The Donnie and Marie show. Yeah. Yeah. Who nobody... wrote the Donnie and Marie? Yeah. Who wrote that? Who wrote that? Get him. Get that guy. Yeah. <laughs> nobody says that. It, it is such a weird thing where he came up in that he was young in the time of the old vaudevillian writers writing that shit for the variety shows. And, and again, it's, it's joke writing, which is different from long form writing, as we know, being a, a quote unquote joke writer is a completely different skill set. And, and he's really good at that. And I mean, a lot of the Bette Midler stuff is pretty funny. And some of Lily Tomlin stuff is funny, too. My thing is that it's just it's such a mixed bag. And with that mixed bag, he also became a personality because of the Hollywood Squares between 98 and 03. They had this this frizzed out perm, blonde perm, overweight queen with a scruffy beard always wearing some type of a novelty t-shirt, red glasses frames, like he looked like Sally Jesse Raphael's homeless grandfather. And and yet, because he was so witty, because of his personality, um, he became, and, and, and I'm not dissing him. We're just, I am, I'm with you just saying, what a weird career, how- um, They say in Hollywood, you're only as good as your last project. If your last project was the Donnie and Marie show, the Star Wars Christmas special, yeah. like people would be like, <laughs> I don't know. It's a, yeah. His career amazes me. It's true. And as a performer and also a singer, he took over the role of Edna Turnblad in Hairspray on Broadway and I think on tour and also Vegas. I'm sure he did. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's a, that's a, another thing, too, that's just bizarre. And they did alter the look of the character. They made her blonde blonde at the end. Harvey Firestein had red hair, but they made her blonde blonde at the end with red sparkly glasses. So kind of his signature look. He was also on Celebrity Fit Club with the wonderful Chaz Bono. Um, oof, okay. This program was produced and directed by Marty Pacetta. Does that name sound familiar, Matthew? It does not. Marty Pacetta's name has come up in the past on this very podcast because he was also the producer and director of Disney's Summerland Vacation Party. The fuck was that? That's the the, the grad night special that we talked about. Oh, geez. Kim okay. Fields and Malcolm okay. Jamal Warner. Yeah. yeah. That was it. And that was May of 86. So that was a little more than a year before this. Mm. And uh, he has a history of directing lots of award shows and variety shows in the late 60s, 70s and 80s. And a new bit that I discovered about him revisiting uh, this deep dive, his son is Martin Pacetta Jr. And he is a big time producer director in the business. And he is still working. He's very active in the business. Uh, he was the associate director of all of the live in front of a studio audience shows, including the recent reenactment of Different Strokes and the Facts of Life, which just ran in December of 2021. Oof. Oprah full circle moment. Oh, yeah. 
You want to talk about the hosts, Matthew? Our wonderful oh, hosts Christ. of this, uh, a, a veritable who's who of who cares. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for the snark. And again, I really enjoyed this special, but wow. Pick a host and, and start talking. I'm going to let you talk a little bit now, love. It's a veritable who's that? Who cares? <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ, that old queen, that old queen, Tony Randall comes fopping out, doesn't he? Just, <laughs> welcome, hello, I'm Tony Randall, and welcome to the circus. All right, Shakespeare. All right, Hamlet. You should see, I wish uh, our listeners could see, you are flouncing your arms around and putting your hands on, it's like you're, you're taking on some type of a negative stereotype, Matthew. Would you please familiarize <laughs> me with your body language? He's a foppish old queen, and it makes me <laughs> laugh. <laughs> but Tony Randall came up in the 60s as the sort of best friend in a lot of the rom-coms, the, your Doris Day, Rock Hudson things as like yeah. the best friend before the best friend was the best gay friend. Yeah, your single bachelor best friend. <laughs> <laughs> Remember Down With Love, the um, no. Ewan McGregor? The, the, Ewan, the, the Ewan McGregor, Renee Zellweger, salute to the old romantic comp it's wonderful matthew it's really good and the sidekick in that literally playing the tony randall role david hyde pierce i mean perfect casting perfect casting and at that time david was not out but you're like yeah niles crane and mm, yeah here, here's a here's a fussy cultured middle-aged single <laughs> gentleman hmm wonder what that's all about um, he, of course, had done Love, Sydney on NBC a few years prior, so he did have some ties to NBC. And, and I forgot to say, this show was on NBC because NBC was the, the, the network that carried The Wonderful World of Disney. This is considered an episode of The Wonderful World of Disney before the ABC purchase, yada, yada, yada. Um, pick another host. Go ahead. Um, Malcolm Jamal Warner and his ponytail. I saw that. The fuck was that, Malcolm? This little itty bitty—I mean, a little oh my tuft God. of a ponytail, visible at seventeen twenty-five—and I, I just—that's the matter of some kid having nobody to tell him no. <laughs> <laughs> He, of course, rose to fame as Theo Cosby, the son on The Cosby Show, working with the wonderful Bill Cosby. You think you need to explain why Malcolm Jamal Warner is famous to anybody listening to this fucking thing? Oh, wait till next month, Matthew, when we talk about the Golden Girls. Oh, Jesus. I'm, I'm telling them who Betty White is. Okay. Damn it. <laughs> um, go ahead. Pick another host. Pick another host. Oh, what's her pussy? Al, Elise, whatever. Beasley. Jeez, who looks complete. I get that that's, that was her whole thing, but which is why she hasn't worked, because she has one character. This person that looks completely lost wherever they are, whatever is happening, the big-eyed thyroid Elise. <laughs> oh, no. And do you know what, what show she was famous for? Wasn't it La La? No, it was Moonlighting. Oh, shit. 
She played the character of Agnes de Pesto. And I believe she always, I believe she was always referred to as Ms. DePesto. Like they didn't, they weren't on a first name basis, but she was literally the dizzy wide-eyed secretary on this dramedy show with, you know, Sybil Shepherd and Bruce Willis sparring and will they or won't they? And some people might remember if, if you're a Moonlighting fan, there was a brief time when they were fighting so much and they were debating whether they even wanted to continue the series. They brought in Curtis Armstrong, better known as Booger from Revenge of the Nerds. Oh, yeah. They brought him in as a possible love interest, and they sent them two out on some mystery, because at its core, Moonlighting was their private detectives, and they need to solve a mystery every week or find a, find a dude or whatever. So they literally were like, hey, could, could we do Moonlighting? without Sybil Shepherd and Bruce Willis? Well, who in the world would we use instead? Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Yep. Elise Beasley and Booger. Done. <laughs> yeah. TV, TV zone, Elise Beasley. She's one of those people that that will be referred to as TV zone. <laughs> yeah. Elise Beasley. Yeah. And and if you see here, this is her playing herself. This is exactly who she was on, on Moonlighting. This is this slightly lisping, wide-eyed, kind of always talking like a very Georgia angle of the 80s. Ooh, there, yes, yes, and I applaud that. Yes. She is wearing a, a floppy blossom hat that belongs on a young Mayim Bialik and an insane oversized patchwork patterned 1980s jacket with shoulder pads from hell. Yeah. And you're just like, holy shit. And even the rest, even what everyone else is wearing is pretty timeless. She's the one who's like, and we're in 1987, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Firmly planted. Okay, pick another host. Pick another host. I love it. Oh, shit. Who else? Mr. Tudball. Oh, for Christ's sake. Not Tim Conway. They Did do Tim say, they do say uh, Mr. Tudball, also known as Tim Conway, but he plays... He is Mr. Toddball in the entire thing. This character he did, you know, with Mrs. O'Higgins on the Carol Burnett show. Uh, it's like, what a weird, bizarre choice. <laughs> I will. The only thing I have about Tim Conway is that he is the only person that I will watch do 10 minutes of fucking improv with dogs running around him for Christ's sake. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It it wasn't brilliant. It wasn't brilliant improv, but it was just like, okay, somebody said to me, who do you want to watch? Talk to dogs for 10 minutes. I'd be like, well, Tim Conway. Yeah. Yeah. Truly. <laughs> yeah. Somehow he comes out of it with his dignity. I do not know how, but he does. And it's really weird. And I'm not exaggerating. There's a segment of him doing 10 minutes of open mic. <laughs> While dogs run around. Riffing on a pack of dogs. Like you do. (laughs) What is this? A theme park show or something? Oh. Uh, Our next host. Are are we done yet? Have we run out of hosts? Oh, no, no, nay, nay. This is 60 minutes and we are going to fill every 60 of them with every entertainment 
Uh, Tendril, we can extend to all facets of show business. They literally introduce him as Vern's best friend, Jim Varney. Oh, shit, I forgot about him. Vern's best friend, Jim Varney. This is because literally he was still the guy from the commercials. He hadn't had any movies out. He didn't have a name yet. He was still known as the Hey Vern guy. With his catchphrase, know what I mean? They hadn't named him Ernest. And so they literally just say, here's Jim Varney playing Vern's best friend. It was one of those, it was a character in local commercials that somehow took off and then got a national platform and and very appealing, very fun. And uh, he would eventually, of course, go on to play the voice of Slinky Dog in Toy Story 1 and 2, and then he passed away far too soon. And he also played Jed Clampett in the film version of the Beverly Hillbillies opposite the wonderful Cloris Leachman as Granny. Oh um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I and Jim Varney, he's one of those people that like you see him doing that now, and you're like, I think he's brilliant. Yeah, I agree. And he's one of those people that's so underrated because of this character, like Don Knotts. Like, you know what I mean? Like Don Knotts was a pretty brilliant comedian. True. Yeah. But, I, I agree with you. Got... He still had great work ahead of him. If he had not uh, died so young, he probably would have gone on to be like, you would have seen a movie with that older actor. And he was great. And then someone would go, no, that was Jim Varney. What? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, um, oh, like a, 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 a perfect case in point is um, Andrew Dice Clay in A Star is Born playing Lady Gaga's dad. I mean, oh God, shoot me in the face. <laughs> I, I mean, nobody saw that coming. Nobody oh. saw it coming. But as we've said before, stand-ups are actors. And if you're a good stand-up, you're a good actor. So uh, that's a skill. But yeah, that was, that was a thing that popped into mind as far as actors who would go on to surprise us later in their careers. And uh, trivial pursuit time, Matthew. Oh, Jim man. Varney also has another connection to the Walt Disney Company in addition to Toy Story. Do you recall what other uh, way he is uh, affiliated? Um, he did an attraction, didn't he? <gasps> you are on the right. You're on the right path. He absolutely did. Do you remember what the attraction was? But also, um, via ABC, he was on Roseanne for a little bit, too. Oh, um, that I didn't know. <laughs> He played. It was the it was the season they got rich. Um, oh, so nobody watched. Yeah. Um, God, what attraction was that that he was in? It was in Epcot. Yeah, I know. It was in Future World. I don't know. I don't remember. It's, Cranium only... Command. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And and he was he was Havern. He was Ernest in that. It wasn't him as an actor, like like Elizabeth Shue in Body Wars before she became famous. Well, we had him also because uh, um, his house was on Residential Street. Vern's house was on Residential Street. Oh, I did not um, know that. From Ernest Saves Christmas or Ernest something, one of them. Yeah. Um, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, because, yeah, by then. They were all touchstone pictures. Ah, okay. And, I mean, this is 87. I feel like the first Ernest movie came out 
in 88. Like he was just on the brink of having a name, not being the Haverne guy. But uh, yeah, I have to put out a WTF regarding the hosts. According to IMDB, and I'm aware that it is not the be all and end all, there are mistakes on the internet, I am told. They have Lisa Bonet listed as one of the hosts of this. Yeah. Did I miss Lisa Bonet? Am I crazy? Was she in this? I, I didn't see her at all, but again, I was fast forwarding. That was that would have been, forgive me if, if someone did see this. If she was in it, she's not in the opening credits. It is weird that they would have had Malcolm Jamal Warner and her, both from the Cosby show, and not pair them up together somehow. That's very, very strange. And then um, last but certainly not least, we, of course, have our wonderful tootie from the Facts of Life, Kim Fields. The reason why we are here, ladies and gentlemen, to talk about Walt Disney World Celebrity Circus. Not the Walt Disney World Celebrity Circus. Not Walt Disney World's Celebrity Circus. Just simply, Walt Disney World Celebrity Circus. That bothers me, in the words of your dear friend, Ms. Coco Peru. Not to get off onto a tangent, but Ertis Goes to Camp was 1987. And I'm, I'm looking to see. Okay, well, then that was the, the release year. date, May 22nd. So Ernest, he was the time this played, he was a pretty decent star. Hmm. Well, funny they didn't call him Ernest in this. I mean, this was probably- Well, again, they weren't promoting shit, were they? Yeah, I mean, true. They, so true, and, yeah. And maybe he was a big enough star with Ernest Goes to Camp that it was, we didn't have to call him that. I haven't seen that movie. Maybe he, well, he's called Ernest Goes to Camp. Anyway, anyway, anyway Jesus anyway. Christ. Kim Fields is in it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I love her title card where she is talking to the camera, crazy eyes. And so they just happen to catch her telling you something really interesting about one of the performers. And as a result, it just says, oh, here's Tony Randall. Well, here's Hey Vern. Well, here's uh, here's Mr. Tudball and Kim Fields. Ah! <laughs> what is that? But uh, OK, let's let's talk about theme parks. You and I have a have a working knowledge of, of theme parks. We've spent a, a minute or two in them. Mm. We know for a fact that if they were taping this, this would have to have been taped overnight. Mm -hmm. The sheer size and volume of this production of how much real estate it covers and how many acts are squoezed into this hour of network television, I'm kind of blown away. Earlier I said, was this a, a part of daily operations somehow? Was this already there? Did they just bring this in? You know they would have filmed this overnight, not during the operating hours of the park. This is all taking place at night. Well, which is pretty obvious because I have about 30 seconds into this thing, I have my first time of saying, turn on a fucking light. <laughs> So, yeah, it's almost filmed in the dark, for God's sake. Like, light this place, <laughs> yeah. for God's sake. And um, what they did do, to their credit, is to create some sort of a backdrop. They shipped over the floats from the Main Street <laughs> Electrical Parade over at the Magic Kingdom. 
Yeah, I don't. I think they thought those were going to give off more light than they did because they yeah they're just lingering in the background and they do help they do help create kind of a fun festive atmosphere but again theme park nerds like you and me are looking at that going why are those floats from a magic kingdom parade in epcot right now why are those there that is not correct well i i had less problem with that than i had with the lighting and also like well you know well I guess I'm confused by what you're saying. You know, this was filmed over several nights, probably. I guess so. But does that mean, does that mean they they set up this circus and then just had it, then just had it roped off and this all? No, it's no, they were at nine o'clock. Remember back then, A, back then the park closed at nine. True. No ifs, ands, or buts. True. (laughs) So by 9.45, it was empty. By You know how Disney is. By 10 o'clock, they've got stagehands working out. They're ready to shoot at probably 4 in the morning or 3 in the morning. And maybe they did have it roped off and, 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 and already set up for the day. Like, they were setting it up during the day. But things like that usually didn't happen. Um, in, and that's my thing. It's just the scale of this. Maybe they set up a few guys. things one night and I'm aware of the magic of editing, the magic of television. Maybe not everything was all set up all at the same time, but even still over how many nights, the level of the amount of work, and I, I guess what I'm forgetting is that's the nature of the circus. The circus will pull into town at six o'clock in the morning and they'll have a fucking performance that night yeah. and then be on the road by midnight to go into the next town. Maybe I'm I'm underestimating the work ethic of of circus people and you know and the Disney techs, you know, shout out to them. They've they've always supported us entertainers uh far it, beyond the call of duty. But it does show the difference in how they film things now and how they film things then because yes, this was happening at probably about two or three in the morning. You can see people behind Tony Randall at 315. Everybody's in coats. So I'm guessing it was filmed. In the (laughs) spring, probably. I mean, there's some heavy coats, though, like on people behind him. Mm -hmm. So like like Florida winter coats. Um, But you can see somebody yawning at 315. (laughs) You see this girl behind him just bust out a yawn. And I'm like, Nowadays, first of all, now they film the Christmas parade during park hours, and mm-hmm. yet there is still a planned set audience behind that. What that camera is seeing are people that have been loaded head to toe, given given Disney wardrobe, been told to act like they're going crazy. They would have never used somebody yawning <laughs> behind, <laughs> behind Tony fucking Randall. Oh God, it killed me when I saw that person yawn. I was like, yeah. where's the director? Nobody's like, okay, can we get the girl who's yawning away <laughs> from Tony Randall? <laughs> oh, people could not have looked more bored, but put a turn a light on in that theme park, for God's sake. That's just it. It's like, we know that Epcot at night is gorgeous and photogenic like by design that's all engineered by the by disney imagineering so they had a helicopter shot where you could see spaceship earth at least that was lit and then you could see kind of these string lights going up to the area on the backside between you know over by the fountain 
and then you know between that and the world showcase but yeah it's again the opportunity to say coming to you from disney's epcot center they could have had a view of all the world showcase and all of the attractions in future world it would have <laughs> the epic synergy fail that this is uh, we didn't expect it in 77 with the Mouseketeers at Walt Disney World, but you would have thought by now... Eisner was not... I don't think Eisner was in charge yet. Or, or he had just just gotten in charge. I, th- I yep. think this was right at the beginning of his reign. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember. 84. So, yeah. So, early in his tenure and... Uh, uh, I have to say, I was shocked when we had the two dudes on the, the motorcycles with the scaffolding below them, the motorcycles that spin around on the cables, that, that balancing act. I did not expect and was not ready to see them drive all the way up to the spaceship Earth structure, to see that those cables were literally attached to the fucking ball. That seemed so weird to me. Did that strike you as odd? No. Well, really? Yeah, why would, I don't understand. Why, why would they drill happen? a hole in their attraction? I guess they needed something tall, but I'm just like, if I were the, the motorcycle dude, I'd be like, uh, do we really know this is secure? Is this is this theme park magic? Is that just fucking drywall that you put a damn anchor in? How do I know I'm not going to plummet to my death? I, I was honestly more concerned at the opening with um, costumed characters on elephant. Yeah. It's yeah. hard enough to walk in those costumes. Oh my let god! Alone, let alone ride an elephant. Can you imagine? <laughs> it's so true. They did at least make an effort to integrate the the three disparate things we have going on. As far as we have theme park, Disney, and the characters, meaning the the people in the the suits being Donald Duck and all that. Sorry to ruin that magic. Those are people wearing costumes. Hope they don't fire me for that. Uh, mixing that with the circus with our C-list celebrity hosts. And I really think they did a pretty good job considering that that's, that's a Herculean task, I think, to try and make all of this fit together into something. So it's like, okay, we're going to put Ernest over in, was he in Germany? Um, sure. Yeah, so he was over in Germany with a lot of like uh, the the some of the street performers and making jokes there. And then Mr. Tugball was in France where the dogs were let loose. Kim Fields was in Morocco with two of the uh, two of the balancing dudes and their super gay outfits uh, with stilt walkers in the background. Uh, and then uh, Elise Beasley is in England shopping where chip and dale steal her shopping bags and then uh probably the only of the of the moments that don't quite fit is that you do get the bmx bike riders go chasing after the thieves followed by the not the keystone cops Knox keystone cops n-o-c-k-s i have no idea what that is or what that branding is about i meant to look it up and i didn't sorry but the Keystone cops show up where you literally see the, the vehicle pull up, cops run around blowing their whistles and then get on the thing and it drives off. Like it, it's literally a drive-through appearance. 
And I'm like, of all the things in the circus, the closest thing we get to a clown act is the the dude doing the conductor bit. Yeah. And and even that, he's not dressed as a clown. It's more of a you know funny physical comedian bit. I thought, well, at least the key to, the Keystone Cops could kind of check that box of a group of physical funny performers that are essentially clowns without the makeup and nothing ever comes of it. The Keystone cops literally ride in into the frame and then right out of the frame and we never see them again. So I do not know what in the F that was about. And is it, is that what, was that necessary to have like, it's not like there's a through line. What would be wrong with putting Elise Beasley in a fucking ringmaster costume and being like, ladies and gentlemen, the flying Fratelli brothers. Yeah. What would be wrong with that? I didn't need the whole Chip and Dale stole my wallet. I didn't need that. <laughs> Are Disney characters thieves? I don't believe that is canon. I, I don't, I, but I didn't need a plot to it. It's the circus. I, I I kind of agree, but but I will say like Mickey Mouse as the ringmaster, somebody should have rethought that. Be, like, sure, have him there, give him something to do. But hearing the axe announced to in Mickey's voice was a disservice to the axe. I felt like because it was Mickey's voice announcing the you know, and it was like you can't understand a word he says for God's oh, sake. So uh, I'm I I will probably disagree with you there. All right. When you compare it to the Donald Duck, oh, 1980s yeah, Donald Duck, I got, I, I'm like, I, I cannot. That same voice actor, I believe, is the one that does the voicing in the Grand Fiesta Tour, the boat ride over at Mexico in Epcot. And it's, it's like you listen to the old, old Disney cartoon shorts. That Donald Duck, you can tell every word that he says. And this just sounds like it's just the sound. And I'm like, I, I perceive there are words coming out, but I, I've remembered that for a while, eighties. And I think into the nineties, whoever the Donald Duck voice actor was, I never could understand a damn thing he ever said. Yeah. And having to sit through a five minute bit with him and Malcolm Jamal Warner, you know, of Cosby show fame. Um, with Wait, Bill no, Cosby. He was on the Cosby show, was he? Yeah. Okay. With, with Bill Cosby, um, which ran from a, or anyway. Um, Haven't heard much from Bill Cosby lately. Wonder what he's up to. That bit was just, again, it's like, I didn't need it. I didn't need a five minute bit of him telling Michael and Jamal Warner to get off of a bicycle. I didn't need it. Yeah. Sorry. And the, the comedic conductor bit, that, that physical clown dude. There were two false starts with that act and one of them was just donald coming out and saying get out of here go fuck yourself for for no reason other than well we need to get the disney characters woven into this tapestry somehow um oh one of the stunt guy mark lots the dude hanging from the trapeze by his heels god bless him Mm. they have mini on the sidelines Minnie Mouse going, yoo-hoo, here I am. And Elise Beasley going, cool it, Mouse. I saw him first. Yeah. Uh, ugh. And ugh. that whole bit, again, again, that whole bit, because they they promote that at the end. 
it becomes a where's Mickey? Well, maybe here he heard Kim Field says maybe he heard you talking about all those hot guys. What? Yeah, and Minnie's like, what have I done? Yeah, what have I done? Let me tell you what you've done. You never would have gotten yourself into that now, Minnie. <laughs> this would not even be a storyline that would be entertained. However, this was also the time when you could see Disney specials where like Snow White was dancing to nine to five with Dolly Parton. Oh, so bless. It was, we weren't as concerned. They, they weren't as concerned with um, character integrity back then. Uh, definitely not. <laughs> Including, it's a joke for those of us who work there, is that every theme park ride and experience is something goes wrong. Something is unexpected or Someone is missing. Where Mickey is missing. Can you help us find Mickey? What are we going to do? So to have it lead up to this quintessential theme park moment of all theme park moments of where is Mickey? Where is Mickey? And to have him on a fucking trapeze hanging from a helicopter was one of the most jarring things I think I've ever seen in my entire life. I wrote down that this is the perfect ending to the fever dream. <laughs> the NyQuil and the horse tranquilizers are just starting to wear off. So, uh, <laughs> but like you said, uh, in those, and I, and I forget, did you ever do characters? You never did characters, did you? No, no, no. neither have I. I have never had the, the good fortune nor the misfortune of ever having to be in one of those fursuits or one of those character suits. Like you said, it is hard enough to fucking walk in those damn costumes. Who was the trapeze artist from the circus that they went, okay, I know you're a trapeze artist. Yeah, let's put a 25 pound head on your shoulders and have you swing around hanging from a helicopter. I mean, what the shit? Again, this is why I didn't ever enjoy the circus was because <laughs> I do not want to see a death. I don't want. <laughs> the circus is the origin story of Matthew's anxiety. It, it really is. I totally get it. You make that is that makes perfectly good sense. I get it. OK, I just want to ask this about like maybe I'm a pervert. Maybe. Maybe. I'm sorry, continue. I don't know if I'm the only one that does this. But with like the gymnasts, everybody literally just stares at their butts and their bulges, right? Like, why have we not <laughs> found a different costume that uh... is a little less revealing? Again, he could be hanging from dental floss that is pulled through his teeth off of a helicopter and my eyes are going to be on them cakes. <laughs> Am uh, I, I like, come on, like uh, when, no. as soon as it comes out, he can he comes out, arms out to da. My eyes are like bulge. Mm -hmm. Am I the only one? No, you're not the only one. I mean, that's, yeah, no, you're not wrong. Absolutely, that's a thing. And I don't know what other outfit that would be less revealing because they need mobilities. They need something very tight that's not gonna wrinkle or fold or get in their way. And of course, 
they have bulges because they're wearing jock straps that are pulling their junk up from between their legs so they don't crush their own nuts. So, you know, I'm just, to me, I'm just like, that's just a fringe benefit of the circus. Okay. And they're in and good some, shape. And sometimes, but also, again, is armpit hair sometimes distracting? Like, I like armpit hair, but you know how sometimes it's just distracting? There can um, there can be an excess of it. I like it too. I'm with you there. I don't like a guy with shaved pits. I'm like, I'm no, I'm attracted to adult males. Yeah. But yeah, there can there can be an abundance to a level of distraction. Uh, 100% agree with you there. Or like if it's weird looking, you know what I mean? Like it's not like you're like, oh, that's not what I was hoping that would look like. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I don't know about that so much, but. All right. Even the guy who was with the seals, Robbie Gasser and his seals, a charming and very funny act with the animals. Uh, looking at him, it's like, okay, that dude is skinny and lean and cut and dressed in a skin tight outfit. And you realize, oh, it's because he's also a, a tumbler. He's balancing on one hand and two hands and all that stuff. You're like, oh, okay. He's also a gymnast uh, and all that. And I'm just like, I look at this stuff and the dude hanging from his heels, you know, panning down from his heels to his beautifully developed calves down along his ass and his yeah. muscular back. I'm just like, I'm sorry. This is thank you for the reminder of how beautiful the human body is. Yeah, but I don't need him hanging by his heels off of a trapeze with no net for me to enjoy that. Yeah. <laughs> And I mean, here's the other thing. I don't know if I don't know how if you've ever seen like circus people like they're what I like to call circus beautiful, where when they are 100 feet up on a trapeze, you're like, oh, he is hot. But then you see him up close and and you're like, oh, oh, oh. That, motherf that motherfuckers had a hard circus life. Like. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like you yeah. see them up close and it's like they're doing every bit of makeup trick. Like uh, my eyeliner is way down here with white under it to make my eyes look huge, <laughs> like that kind of thing. Like, and like their teeth are fucked up and they're 65. Yeah, they've been, they've been doing this act for 40 years. Yeah. They haven't been to a dentist in a while, like that kind of teeth. Like you're like, Oh, so like circus, oh. beautiful people. They are haggard motherfuckers up oh. close. Cause they're all like that, like that, that part of Russia, you know what I mean? Where like they got out yeah. because they were one of the flying finale brothers anyway. Well, it's also kind of commonly known that the circus is one of the lower rungs in the, sh in the show business. Uh, and it's where, you know, the idea of, you know, running away and joining the circus or, you know, the circus came through town and I left town with them. The idea of, it, uh, and maybe it's because we just recently watched Nightmare Alley in the cinema with the wonderful Bradley Cooper, where circuses have also been a frequent setting for the underbelly of humanity. You know, really? the, the sort of, well, you know, you think the, I, I th I'm not sure if, I don't think this is a good word to use anymore, but the, the, the classic freak show 
the idea that over at one section of the circus, yeah, you had the acrobats and the show, the three ring show, but on the sidelines, you had all the, the, the games, the throw the ball and knock over the milk bottles. And then you had the booth with the, the lady with the three vaginas or the, uh, you know, the, the, the bearded lady or the, the dude with, 12 testicles. You know what I mean? The, the sort of the- they, they, they were not in the afternoon performance given for school children in <laughs> Fort Indiana of the Shrine Circus. I don't know what fucking circus you were going to <laughs> well, up in it. Broxton, Mass. <laughs> and I don't even know if that exists or if that's just a movie trope that's, you know, in a, a, one of the seasons of uh, American Horror Story. It's called Freak Show, and it's about the boy with the lobster hands and the... Ah! You know, that whole thing, it's just there. there is a, a connection that movies and television have imposed on us of it being the sort of underbelly of humanity of a drifter comes through and is taught the ropes. And next thing you know, he's a, a performer in the circus and, you know, downplays the fact that these people are fucking athletes and have worked their whole life. And I mean, I know there's days when my heart isn't into it as a theme park performer, as an actor, we all have those performances where we're just kind of today's a day that I'm just getting through it. I'm, I'm still trying, but I don't have the fuel in my tank to give it 150% today. How do you do yeah. that when you're swinging on a damn trapeze and you have to catch your wife or not <laughs> drop your fucking daughter on yeah. the pavement 50 feet below? How do you, that that is my mind cannot wrap itself around the the amount of uh, focus and and training and experience you need to do what this is and and i think it does not get the um it doesn't get the props and the respect that it deserves and no clowns i'm just going to say it no of all the things at the circus that would have been easy to throw in front of a camera, no clowns. <laughs> Not even character clowns dancing around Dumbo or whatever. It, it's so weird to me. Maybe they thought it was frightening enough. What? <laughs> Maybe they thought Tony Randall hosting was frightening enough. Oh. <laughs> uh. What else do we have in my notes? Just random things. I just have like stupid little things like Liberace on a high wire. Um, but oh, the like, sequins. The, it's yeah. like, yeah, it's like the, the um, it's like figure skater outfits. Like, you know, yeah. one of them's got fiery sequin flames coming up his chest. And the other one has white bugle beads hanging. It was like Tootie talking to those two dudes in Morocco was like fire and ice. Yeah. Uh, it was like, a, you know, a gay cop show or something. Um, the last thing I have, though, is like, I, I think if you watch the very last scene, they edited Tony Randall at the end because I don't think he has any idea where he is, let alone who's he, who he's around. And he's saying goodnight. And there's like this moment of improv where all the characters come rushing in and they all go, oh, ha, 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 ha. And he says and he's saying goodnight, Donald. And then he turns and looks at Goofy and he goes like, good night, edit. Because it sounds like he went, good night. I don't know who you are. <laughs> or he called what? him Pluto or, or something. Or called him Pluto or something. Because that happens. Really, 
there's a really hard edit and the way he says goodnight doesn't sound like it's a finality kind of to it. It's like a goodnight, Donald. Good night. Edit. Okay. Oh, okay. I didn't notice that. Wow. Yeah. Uh, um, I was going to say of my random final notes here, they did do a cute bit again, problematic today where when they go through the um, uh, airlines and accommodations were provided by in that little advertising thing, they set up, stunts with the bears like as though the bears themselves were staying in the hotel you see them walking in and out of the lobby that was really a cute way to do that um how many whippings those bears got in order to perform those tasks i don't know but um yeah the music super dupery synthesized holy shit yeah synthesized like almost distracting and uh they definitely saved money on the music tracks. Yeah. Oh, for, for sure. For sure. And uh, what else? Oh, just another sideline. Anthony Gatto, the 13-year-old juggler who holds a ton of world records and all that stuff. Uh, he was a prodigy. It was a family business for him. He would go on to work with Cirque du Soleil, including the Cirque du Soleil that was here at Downtown Disney for the many, many years called La Nuba. And... Uh, he has since retired from juggling and performing, and he runs a concrete resurfacing company called Big Top Concrete Resurfacing that he opened in 2012, based out of Claremont, Florida. Why aren't we talking to him? What? Ma Talk to the staff, Matthew. I ask my staff to go and do my research for me. I ask the staff if they would secure some guests, and I'm getting nothing. I'm, I'm really thinking of letting some of them go. Stacy, why do we not have Anthony Gatto? <laughs> you, we need to fire her. Fire Stacy. Where is she? Damn it. I ordered coffee two weeks ago. <laughs> I, I just think we could have gotten Tony on the phone. It's a local call. <laughs> so many missed opportunities for this. So many, so many missed opportunities replaced with tens of other opportunities that we really didn't need or want. And then the big finale, of course, just to add to the anxiety of the Mickey on the trapeze, our big final finale finally thing is all the pyrotechnics go off. Now we're back in Epcot mode where we've got all of the typical things that would happen at the end of the day and all the things going on. And I'm just like, uh, is this being edited or is this shit going off while Mickey's in the air in a helicopter? Did, did this tumbling trapeze actor in the costume sign up for this shit? Are they like going off around him? Holy shit. I, I get where the anxiety comes from, Matthew. Now this makes perfect sense. I don't want to watch a death. I'm sorry. No, nope. Never did. Never liked those faces of death VHS tapes that were circulating. Nope, don't like watching that. I'm not saying that people who like these things are hoping that happens. I'm just saying I don't want to see it if it happens. Yeah. So it causes me anxiety. Yeah. Okay. Well, again, for how much we have ripped this thing to shreds and defaced, debased, and insulted it, I really had a lot of fun with it. This was really enjoyable. Well, you have anything else to say before we wrap this fucker up? 
No. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't. I, I wanted to yes and yes, and that is nothing. How about that? <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> so well, uh, let's see. How many talkaholic chips are we going to give this uh, out of five? Oh. Yeah, there was a lot going on here, but the enjoyment. Um, I'm not sure it's four. I'm going to give it three and a half talkaholic chips. How about you, sir? I th- it's so problematic. I mean, and so I, the, I couldn't. Okay, let me put it like to you like this: It's an hour of awkward celebrity interaction. It is an hour of me not being able to watch the animal acts, and an hour of me being anxious watching the Flying Fratelli Brothers <laughs> without a net. So. I'm not giving it any chips. No chips for me. Stacy, why do I not have chips? Oh, <laughs> uh, there was somebody who did uh, send me a note and said, "So, how come you guys always keep doing that the wonderful that that thing? It's like is is that from something?" And no. Uh, yes it is, for fuck's sake. Come on. And I guess the same way you're like, okay, if you're listening to this podcast, you know who the fucking Golden Girls are. Maybe we are being a little esoteric that that is a Jiminy Glick thing. That's Martin Short as Jiminy Glick. And that's what the the Stacy reference is. His, um, that his- hack that stole my, he, he, we talked one time and now, now he's got to base the whole character off of me. Yeah. It's insulting. You really should. You should file that lawsuit. I'm telling you, the statute of limitations is not over yet. I'm, but I'm already in one with Gene Smart for oh. hacks for creating yeah. for creating a sitcom about my imagined life. Yeah, my imagined life for my made up character that I portray. <laughs> How dare she? Anyway, who cares? Yeah. Goodbye, David. <laughs> Goodbye, Matthew. And thank you, Tutti Fruities, as always, for supporting the show and being a part of the family. We love you, and we will talk at you next month. Mwah! Oh, so. Uh, no, more about gel coat. When the fourth... Don't you call in the... More importantly, 